our goal for our clients is to simplify stuff because our clients are busy people. We're all busy people. And what humans tend to do is way overcomplicate absolutely everything. Like we're all very, very good at that. Simplicity is a skill. Meet your host, Andy Naylor. Andy is a men's physique transformation expert, competitive physical champion, and a multi-six-figure business owner who has helped thousands of busy, high-achieving men get into the best shape of their lives and reconnect with their inner alpha. On this show, Andy is going to share with you his playbook on feeling healthy again, avoiding the common pitfalls successful men fall into, dropping 20 to 30 pounds of fat, and building a physique you can finally be proud of. And the transformations aren't just physical either. You're going to learn how meeting your personal goals will help support your professional achievements, giving you that true alpha mentality. Let's go. Podcast and interesting show today because my team have thrown a curveball at me and given me 15 questions that they have received in our clients' check-ins. These are real-world questions that have appeared from clients over the last few weeks, maybe months, inside check-ins that, of course, my, my coaches have been able to answer for clients, but they've, they've picked out just 15 random ones and given them to me to uh, answer live on the podcast. So I have not seen these. Um, I've got them on a page in front of me, so I'm simply going to read the question out. I don't have context for each question, so that's going to make things nice and challenging for me. Good luck, Andy. But I'm going to read them out and then just, I guess, see where logic takes me and let's see what we uncover. So question number one, I have a question about protein. I read that uh, the recommended protein for a woman is 0.75 uh, grams per kilo. Uh, for me, is 51, but I have 148, which is way over. I'm curious why this is. I'm not changing anything, but I like to know and understand the science behind what I'm doing. Also, does this go down... Does this go down as I lose weight? I think the answer is no, but again, I'm curious. There's so much on this one. So first of all, I tend to work not in kilos, but pounds. Um, so quite simply, I tend to work on a, a gram per pound. Now, there's some caveats on that. It depends how, how much body fat someone might be carrying. Because if, say, someone's 320 pounds and 70, 80 pounds of that is just outright fat, what we don't want to do is just then be using protein based on that body weight. We might look at what could be a reasonable lean body weight and uh, in pounds and then attach a gram per pound of protein to that. I also don't really consider that females, if a female is weightlifting, uh, resistance training and to a decent intensity, I don't really see that men and women, I don't, I've never in my coaching, 22 years of coaching, given different varying amounts. Now, the one thing I will say is women tend to not eat as much protein naturally. Uh, women tend to just under eat protein. I, after all this time, still don't really know really the reason why. Not quite sure. I would always give a female the same amount. A gram per pound is, is pretty much standard. Yes, you can certainly go lower than that. Yes, you can certainly go higher. The, the, the times I might go higher is if I'm really trying to reduce and restrict uh, maybe other macronutrient intakes. But generally speaking, I would just stick to um, a gram per pound. Now, does it change as somebody changes weight? Could do. However, if someone is, say, I don't know, they're, I don't know, 220 pounds and their goal is 180. So maybe we give them circa 220 grams of protein, possibly, probably less, depending on how much of that is actual fat. But as they're coming down, if I've got room to manipulate carbs and fats, 
I'm probably going to manipulate carbs and fats first before I change protein because protein is way more satiating and it also has to go through a far more biological processes before the body will turn it into fat. So it's sort of a, it's a safe bet, basically. Okay, we'll move on. Question number two. Good morning, coach. As things start to get busier at work, I was wondering how a three-day training plan might look. Happy to spend longer in the gym for those sessions. Was well, just a thought, and uh, whether all muscle groups can be actively challenged in three days, interested to hear your thoughts. So the immediate answer I would give to this is it can be certainly very effective to train uh, three times a week because because more is not better. Get the most out of the least is something that I always say. So then the question is, well, how would we best split up three days? If someone's resistance training, it would just be full body times three. Easy. Now, when most people hear about a full body training session, they think basic. They think beginner. I used to think that. I now think quite advanced because I know what it takes. So, for example, the last training session I had was legs. The time before that, three days ago, is a full upper body session. So I have to train shoulders, back, chest. I, I, I leave arms, but shoulders, back and chest which to do that successfully is really difficult. It's really challenging because you've got to know your movements, know your numbers, be well practiced in the form of each movement to get in, get the most out of it and get out. Okay. So full body sessions are actually very, very difficult to do correctly. So most people think they're like an entry level thing. They're not. They're really not. They're entry level if you just go in and don't do them well. Yes. But what it means is if we're doing three sessions a week and we're hitting each muscle group, well, at least three times per week. So then we've got a good degree of uh, frequency, pretty good, actually, three times per week. But also, if we're doing each muscle group, then we should hopefully have a reasonable amount of volume because we're doing it three times per week. And then also we're, we're maximizing the, uh, you know, the, the time that we're spending in there. So that's normally what I would do. Uh, you could someone could just do upper, lower, upper. Right. If their upper body needs more work or it could be lower, upper, lower, if they want more lower body work or it could be push, pull legs, push, pull legs would be the last of my options there because everything's getting trained once, which is not optimal. If they're a genetic freak and could get away with it and train incredibly hard, that might work. But for most people, and I would say most people who listen to this podcast, who want a effective time efficient training plan, I would go full body and just be very smart about the movements and the exercise selection and order. Okay, moving on to number three. I realize that I mentally feel like I am off of work during the weekend and it really affected my nutrition tracking and desires for a cheat meal. Would love some tips on how to separate emotions from food both during um, the weekend and when I'm stressed or sad. Well, the first thing I say here is stop seeing the week as uh, five days and two. That, that doesn't exist. The only reason there is a week and weekend was because, to my understanding, of the Industrial Revolution, where factories became where most workers were working, right? So labor-based work. And factory owners, I believe, started to realize they couldn't just grind their workforce seven days a week. They had to give them a couple of days rest. Hence, the weekend. But your biological systems, your, your body doesn't work on a five-day, two-day weekend, five-day week, two-day weekend. So first of all, just start seeing the week as seven days, or better still, one day followed by another, followed by another, followed by another, followed by another. It's way better if you just see it like that. Change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So that's the first thing. Secondly is 
really, I guess, tied into that, which is don't let your habits change. If you wake up at 6 a.m. on a weekday morning, well, then that just doesn't change. Forget that there's a weekend and there's a lie-in. That, that shit doesn't exist. It's just not good. Let me just be quite clear about that. It's better to have a set wake-sleep time that is your time, okay? Don't change your routine so much. And this is another reason why people struggle to get up on a Monday morning, because what they've done for two days is get up two hours later, then suddenly they've got to get up, get up two hours earlier, and Monday morning seems like a massive drag. Well, just don't change your routine, like simple in terms of also uh, about being stressed or sad. Okay. Bit more deeper. I can only really touch the surface of this in today's podcast, but those are simply emotions. They are emotions um, and feelings that we have inside. So feeling stressed or feeling sad. Now, the, neither of those two things require food. Technically, right? Neither of those things require food to fix them. Now, we have all been stressed and eaten. We have all been happy and eaten, and we have all been sad and eaten. We are humans. We eat when we celebrate, commiserate, socialize. It's part of what we do. But you are still, to my knowledge, 100% in control of what you shove in your mouth. So now it's just a yes or no decision. And what I recommend here is when feeling stressed or sad is to try and remove yourself from the situation as much as possible. That might be getting up from where you were feeling stressed or sad and moving to another room, walking outside, do some box breathing, some meditation, some uh, gratitude, some journaling. There are many other things you can do. So, I mean, in terms of feeling stressed, it's very difficult stressed and maybe like angry like as in just a negative emotion it's very difficult to go off and practice gratitude properly and then be annoyed at the same time you can't be grateful and annoyed at the same time the, the two things don't exist you're either thankful and peaceful and so on or you're not so go and try and find other things that you might do so if you're sad maybe you listen to music that makes you happy maybe you look at pictures of of family members, people you love that make you happy. Try and reduce the feelings of sadness. If you're stressed, reduce reduce the stresses, change habits, practice box breathing, meditation, reduce those feelings, therefore the urge. And also when you get an urge to eat, don't just react to the urge immediately because it's then you're on autopilot, really, and probably a bad one. When you, it's like hunger, people react to hunger like oh my god I'm, I'm hungry i must go and eat no no it's just hunger it goes away and i can tell you it goes away i fasted for seven days with just water and i can tell you that you don't just get hungrier and hungrier and hungrier and hungrier no the hunger kind of goes away you just get tired <laughs> by the end of it but create a gap between the stimulus so that could be hunger that could be stress that could be sad a gap between the stimulus the feeling and your response Therefore, that gap gives you the chance to make a yes, no decision. Number four, I've been busy at work and I miss lunch. Uh, then I make up the meal at the end of the day based on calories available. Will this affect growth or anything if I'm going for a long period during the day without eating? Also, what are some snacks I can eat a lot of to munch on that will keep me satiated? I don't feel full the way I used to. Perhaps it's long periods not eating. Okay, so I've got not a lot of context here. Um, missing a meal is not great. Um, if you say it, so it says here, will this affect growth? So I'm assuming this is muscle growth. Will missing a meal affect growth? Mm, depends on how into the journey you are, what overall caloric levels are, how in, far into the push of growth, so many variables. But technically, 
Um, muscle protein synthesis is initiated when we take in a certain amount of protein, leucine, and branched-chain amino acids. That peak goes up, so we, we eat those things, we digest them, our body reacts by you know, upregulating muscle protein synthesis, i.e. the building of new muscle, essentially. That peaks and then comes back down. So you, you want to let muscle protein synthesis come back down to a negative level to be able to simulate it again. It can't stay up all the time. So there has to be a gap between food, first of all. But also, let's imagine you have a gap where you could have had a meal and you could have initiated you know, muscle protein synthesis and you didn't. Well, yeah, that's a lost opportunity, technically. You want to get as many peaks and troughs in a day as you can within reason. Most people, the maximum you could probably get is maybe five meals, six meals, just about just about. You'd have to be eating very regimented and starting early and eating late for most people. Um, so it's not great. If you're pushing hard in the gym, you're trying to grow muscle and you are skipping meals for whatever reason. No, it's not good. You want to be ingesting some degree of protein, even if it's a protein shake. Yeah, even if it's just 30 to 40 grams of a whey isolate or something like that, it's going to help. So don't miss meals. Is there anything you can snack on to feel satiated? Again, goal dependent. Uh, all sorts of things. Randomly, one of <laughs> one of the things that I snack on is carrots, uh, which is going to sound really odd. But I've got I get carrots and like a very light hummus, which I've never liked for forty four years of my life, and now suddenly I like red pepper hummus. Get your head around that. And I dip carrots into that. And weirdly, it's it, well one, it, there's some nutrition there, but two, it kind of keeps me quite full, and it's better than eating you know the buckets of dark chocolate that I otherwise would. But it kind of depends on what your macros are. You know, obviously the person asking this question as to whether or not there's something, there's always something. But what I would also do is I hate the idea of snacking. Humans, I don't think it's good. I think it disrupts digestion. I think it also creates an idea of as soon as I'm hungry, I eat. How about sit with hunger? So interestingly, before, so I'll prove this actually. So before I started this podcast, I took some digestive enzymes and some B10HCL ready to start to eat a meal. Then I thought, oh, I'm going to sit down and do my podcast. For those on YouTube, here is my meal. Right? I'm about to eat this. Well, the B10HCL has kicked in and I'm sitting here extremely hungry. I'm not going to die, am I? Like I'm just, I'm just hungry and I'm very much looking forward to eating that meal. The only thing I need to think about is not inhaling the meal, but still eating it slowly. Feeling satiated. So the one, the one question I've got here is this says, this person said, will it affect growth? So if it will affect growth, we're looking to build muscle. Therefore, you should be in a caloric surplus. Most people in a caloric surplus shouldn't feel hungry technically. So there's maybe some additional questions on, are you actually in a surplus? Are you actually eating enough food? Well, also the satiated issue is you not eating lunch. So get your lunch in, find a way around it. Number five. Why do you say my body fat percentage is defo over 20, but the calipers say I'm 10? So I think I actually know the answer because I think I've seen some evidence as to what this was about. So body fat percentage, everybody thinks their body fat percentage is lower than it should be or lower than it is. Sorry, everybody, because technically at about 3%, you're dead. And I've heard people say that, oh, you know, I'm going to get to 0%. No, it's technically impossible. You get to 0% and, you know, the essential fats inside, you're, like, you're, going to, you're dead. 3% is about the lowest you can get to. To my knowledge, I'm sure there's going to be someone out there who wants to prove me otherwise. I don't really care, to be quite honest. But I think at my very lowest, I was probably in the 6 or 7 and, quite frankly, shredded out of my mind. And it was like sitting in a burning room. It was really quite painful, not fun um, to be that low. Um, Pretty cool visually, but not really much fun and you can't really hang out there for very long. Anyhow, 
we can i can look at someone and to a rough degree once someone's over about 25 percent, it's just fat like it's just the person's it's just i'm not being disrespectful but it then gets between 25 and 30 35 and 35 like it, it's just it gets harder when someone's anything between say 10 20 25 you can once you've been doing this for long enough you can look at someone and pretty much judge most people most men should be under 15% in my eyes. Why? It shouldn't be difficult to keep yourself below 15%. If you're not keeping, and I mean a real 15%, so you will have a shadow of abs. For most men, everyone's different how they partition body fat technically a little bit. Uh, So we can look at someone and work out, yeah, you're probably about over 20. Why someone thinks they're 10? I know for this uh, particular case, the person had done a caliper measurement which is cool, really awesome. This is actually how I used to keep an eye on my body fat when I used to compete. I couldn't care less about the percentage. I just chose nine areas to track with skin fold calipers. And I was just, other numbers going down? If they're going down, I'm getting leaner. That's all I care about. And then once I was pretty much shredded and some of the numbers couldn't get any lower, I just was then measuring the fattest bit, which was my low back. So like the love handle area, like low, low back either side. If that was going down, I was getting leaner. Now, for this, in, for this question, I know that the person saw a reading of 10 on the calipers. That just means 10 millimeters of a skin fold. Got nothing to do with fat percentage. Um, so we can look at someone and say, look, you're, you're somewhere between you know, 20, 25, which normally you know, is a bit butt hurting for people, but like, people are fatter than they think they are. People have more fat to lose than they believe they do. Like, that's just it. And then people will end up with less muscle than they think they had at the start. So if they're going to get lean enough. So that's probably the answer to that. Alphas, I interrupt this show with a simple message. This show is here to benefit you and your progression to the best version of yourself. But not only just you, it's also here to benefit the people around you, your loved ones, your friends, other alphas in your vicinity. So why not do a really cool thing today? Something that I would thank you for and maybe someone else would. Share this podcast with at least one other alpha out there who you know would benefit from it. Why not share the information, share the ability for someone else to grow? I'm sure they would thank you. I 100% would absolutely thank you. This podcast only grows by our listeners, our followers doing amazing things like giving us five-star reviews, downloading podcasts, subscribing, and then, of course, sharing it with other people. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Share it with one person. And, of course, drop us a five-star review. Download the podcast and, you know, of course, subscribe. And now back to the show. Number six, why do you avoid fat around a training window? Um, so... Generally speaking, we would place carbohydrates around a fat training window. So pre-intra and post, because it's going to be theoretically the time when your body partitions those carbohydrates the best. Now, why would we not put fats there? So one, uh, you could put fats there if you digest carbohydrates extremely quickly, get an insulin spike, and then maybe get a bit of hypo. So putting fats, some fats in there could be useful to slow down the digestion rate just a little bit. But for most people... We just because we're lumping so, so much of the carbs around the area, we might as well just put fats somewhere else. Fats can be quite tasty, like right? you know, eggs and you know, um, you know, think of all the where you get fats from, you know, avocado, um, salmon, you know, ribeye beef, like all these things taste good. So, if we want to allow ourselves the ability to have some nice tasting food in the diet, well, then we just dump all the carbs around the training window and just put the fats elsewhere. Now, another reason that this could be beneficial is if you spike insulin, which is what carbohydrates will do the most, and you've got fat in the blood stream, insulin is going to come along and basically store anything it finds. So, if it finds carbohydrates, yeah, it's going to store it into muscle. If it finds fat, boo, it's going to store it. 
So it's better not to have the fat floating around when it technically isn't going to really do us anything anyway. Protein, carbs around training, fat anywhere else in the day, good to go. Uh, number seven, I have a fast metabolism, so I need more food. Why do you think I don't? <laughs> I can't ask that question, can I? Someone, someone thinking they have a fast metabolism is based on what would be my answer based on what so this is i simply can't answer this question thanks guys for throwing this one at me because i don't know what calories the person on i don't know how lean they are there's so many things to this question i can't answer i have a fast metabolism so i need more food i don't know if the person is trying to go up in weight down in weight that's a question so this is a good example of a question that's unanswerable with the information here um, so I shall skip that one. Number eight, if I add, let's say, 60 minutes of cardio on weekend, can I cheat with confidence on my meals? <laughs> uh, well, 60 minutes. <laughs> Firstly, wrong attitude. Wrong attitude. That's I'm going to exercise so I can cheat. First of all, just wrong attitude. Secondly, 60 minutes of cardio, I don't know, depends what you do, could burn anything from, I don't know, 300 calories. I've burnt 1,000 calories once in 60 minutes, and it literally killed me. So it might give, it might give you, say, at best 1,500 extra calories. You could wax that in a meal extremely quickly. So then you've just had one meal, and you've had to do 120 minutes of additional hard cardio just to eat one meal? Like that, there's no logic in that thinking at all. Um, you could, but you're going to. It's going to end in disaster because you're. What happens also is, is you'll you'll eat extra food. You won't make any additional progress for the additional cardio that you've done. Then you'll feel a bit bad about yourself. Then you might eat more bad food. Then you wake up on Monday saying, oh, I start again on Monday. It's just a bad, bad mentality. Don't do that. Number nine. I've been feeling dizzy and I have had headache during my training sessions i need more carbs i would say you need to be better hydrated that's the first thing that comes to my mind i wouldn't say it's carbs although yes it could be but i don't know how many carbs you're on do i so i don't i can't answer that question but my first gut instinct is probably better hydration uh, could be better sleep depending on when you train in the day but certainly better hydration maybe electrolytes sodium particularly would be the first the first thing that comes to my mind blood sugar levels possibly depends where you're putting your carbohydrates the first thing i would do here is ensure hydration and then the second thing i would do is maybe have carbohydrates i don't know hour to an hour and a half out before training and then see if that fixes the problem chances it might do uh number 10 if i add a glucose disposal after a high carb meal will it glucose will the glucose be disposed a gda glucose disposal agent basically it mimics insulin what does insulin do it stores stuff that's what insulin does right so a glucose disposal agent will basically help your body um store and partition carbohydrates more effectively and where into muscles theoretically so if you take a glucose disposal agent it doesn't just like negatively wipe out the carbs so or the glucose but carbs glucose let's just say same thing so if you eat say oh my goodness i've had like 30 grams of extra carbs today i'm a fatty i shouldn't have done that i'll take a gda and they'll go away no you've still ate the calories your body is still either now well whatever's happened right you've just ate the calories but a gda a glucose disposal agent will just have just at least give you a better chance of pushing them in the right direction most people take a glucose disposal agent when they're pushing up high in food there's a massive surplus of food so we just want to ensure it goes to the right place if you're low on food and you're training with high intensity the high intensity training weightlifting 
acts as a glucose disposal agent in itself because it's glycolytic training. In other words, you're burning off glycogen in your muscle. Right? And if you do a good job of that and then you come, you know, an hour later and eat carbohydrates, good ones, well, any carbohydrates, they're going to get eventually find their way back into the muscle to replace what you burnt off. But if you're in super high carb mode timing, a GDA can be useful. Number 11, should I go over my calories to hit my protein when I'm short or should I stick to the calories? Ah, interesting question. Well, it depends if you're trying to bulk or like you're trying to add tissue or you're trying to get leaner. First of all, if you're being really diligent, you shouldn't have to, you shouldn't have to deal with this question. It depends how short. So it's, it depends, isn't it? Because if you're 100 grams short of your protein, well, and you're trying to build muscle, then you're going to lose a day, kind of. You're just going to lose opportunity. Again, if the goal if the goal is to build muscle, the goal is to hit your protein and your caloric intake and without exception. It's just as simple as that. Just don't miss, basically. If you've fallen short of calories and you're trying to diet, falling shorter couldn't be the biggest issue in the world. However, falling shorter on protein could mean that you're going to lose more muscle than you would have preferred. So it's a, it's a bit of a conundrum. I would need more information to be able to answer this question effectively without rambling on for hours. Okay, number 12. I didn't lose weight this week. Should we reduce calories? Maybe is the answer to that. Did you, did you eat too much food? Did you not exercise the same amount as you normally did? Are you stressed? Is hydration poor? Did you sleep well? What about all of the other things? So and just, losing, just not losing weight for one week is changing calories the week after is a knee-jerk reaction. You've got to protect calories. When they come down, they're down. Once they're down, they're down. Okay, so you want to look at all the other things, the easy things that you could fix before deciding to before deciding to you know pull down calories. Because once you've done that, you know they're not going to go back up until either a diet break or a refeed or you're done dieting. So I would say, how consistent are you with everything else that you've been doing? Be brutal on those areas, fix areas you know that aren't right, and then see what happens with weight next week without changing calories. Number thirteen: Will cardio stop me gaining fat when I'm bulking? Mm, no. No, no, no. Uh, it depends how big the surplus is that you're in and how how good your training is and everything else as to how much fat you'll gain and some genetic components. But if you're, say, you know, 1,500 calories into a surplus, which is easy to get to, you're growing muscle and adding fat at the same time, unless you're in the genetic 1%. And if you were, you, you wouldn't be answering this question, right? So you're going to add fat. The goal is is to minimize as much fat added as possible. How do you do that? Well, good nutrition, well-timed, with great sleep, great rest, and impeccable training. Yeah, that's, it's that and possibly some other things, but that mainly that will reduce fat accrual. Also, starting as lean as you possibly can. So if you start in a surplus at, say, 15%, you will begin to add fat back rather quickly. If you start at, say, 10%, I know I didn't like the numbers, you know, percentages earlier, but if you start at, say, 10%, or just as lean as you damn well can, you've got a longer runway before you start adding the same amount of fat as muscle. Because the moment you're adding the same or more fat than muscle, it's kind of game over, isn't it? It's like negative end game. It's like false economy. Diet, get rid of some fat and go off again. You've only got so much of a runway when you're trying to add muscle. And adding muscle takes a long time and it's really damn difficult, which is why most people don't do a good job of it. So start as lean as possible. Um, cardio is useful to keep in. Why? Just for health reasons and probably for digestion for most people. That's why I would keep it in. Number 14, two more to go. How often should my tra training change as little as possible? 
as little as possible. If your training is getting you a positive result, then why would you change it? And if someone says, well, I'm getting a bit bored, well, suck it up, princess. Really don't care if you're bored of training, if you're getting the result that you requested, you desired. If you're getting the record, so I've done the same training myself for I do not know how long. I love training. And I've been doing certain movements for decades and they get me a result still. So I still do them. And I think really the thing here is though, people do get bored and we understand that. But, you know, training is just one of those things is a get the job done. What I would say here is it's fine to rotate movements. So this is what we tend to do. This is what I do with myself. This is what my coaching team do with our clients is we will look to rotate movements. So we will set up a plan based on all the criteria that we get. And then once a movement becomes stagnant, as in it's not progressing for a little while, we then swap it with the next best variation. So a plan can be evolving and slightly changing quite a lot, but not a lot. A movement here, a movement there. What most people do is decide that they want a whole new training plan. It's like, that's ridiculous. It means your plan wasn't a good one to start with. Like you shouldn't be changing plans like that. That's like, you're just trying to entertain yourself at that point. It's more, be far more methodical with the tracking and logging of your training. And when you find something that you're just stuck on, like a movement, you're like, I just haven't made progress on this for, you know, five weeks. It's like, okay, probably time to look for a new movement, but does the same job. Swap it, make progress. Final question. This plan seems to have a lot more carbs than I'm used to. Is that okay? Yeah, heck, why not? Like, most people are used to lowering carbohydrates because carbohydrates are the devil and they make us fat, which hopefully anyone listening to this knows that's absolute utter rubbish. Though carbs aren't the devil at all. Um, carbohydrate, carbohydrate. They are the things that go into your muscles that pull water into your muscles to make them hydrated, therefore better performance, therefore less injury. You want to eat as much carbs as you can probably get away with. So Depending on, again, what your goal was, if your goal was to either lose fat or gain muscle and you're eating more carbs than you were, but let's say less fat. So maybe it's the same caloric intake overall. But what we've done is pulled fat you know, down from, say, 40 percent of your diet to like 15, 20. Then we can give you more carbs. Most people don't miss eating fats technically because fats are twice as caloric as everything else. So most people don't tend to miss eating them, but they'll know if they miss eating carbohydrates because like, people quite like carbohydrates. People quite like those things like, you know, rice and oats and potatoes and pasta and all these things are nice to eat. So why would we want to take them out? So, yes, it's more than likely OK if you're still seeing positive progress. Right. There we go. A quick 15 questions. I think I answered all of them, but maybe two or three that I was like, oh, I need a little bit more context, but thoroughly enjoyed that. So I don't know any of the individual people who these were from. So if you've listened to this and you are a client and you, you've got some benefit from this and absolutely cool. I love that. I will probably come back and do this one again at some point because we get so many of these sorts of questions and it might be interesting for people to listen and I guess get an understanding as to how we kind of try and logically simplify what we do. That's important. When we look at these things, our goal for our clients is to simplify stuff because our clients are busy people. We're all busy people. And what humans tend to do is way overcomplicate absolutely everything. Like we're all very, very good at that. Simplicity is a skill. So when I go through questions like that, if there's enough information for me, to, for me to be able to make a, an, an idea of what I think the answer should be, I just work my way logically through it. And that's how we work as coaches because it makes life really easy and people can understand that. If you found benefit, of course, uh, you know, give the podcast a, a like, maybe give us a review. We would always appreciate that. If you know somebody who would benefit from this kind of information, please do share it with them. Do them a favor. 
we will thank you for it. Today, we are done. Thank you so much. I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. We hope that you feel motivated to start making changes in your life so you can see those results that you've been wanting to achieve. Remember, you can do anything you set your mind to. If you love the show, please leave us a five-star review and make sure you tell your friends. If you'd like to connect with Andy, you can find him on Instagram at Andy underscore Nailer underscore Pure underscore Elite underscore Pro. I'll leave a link in the show notes as well. Talk to you again soon. 